welcome to episode 28 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede, and I'm recording in some sort of attic space with Brittany Lombus in Metairie, Louisiana. How are you all? How are you doing? Brittany is a co-founder of the site from all the way back in 2015, and now you're going to sort of join in as the uh, permanent co-host. <laughs> Very excited. Of course, this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. Brittany. Yes. Have you seen anything good lately? What have you been watching? I have finally watched The Gallows. What is that? Oh, geez. How can I even explain it? I want to say it's the people who created Paranormal Activity, and it's that whole... Um... Was it the high school one? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's like a found footage movie in a high school. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Found footage. Totally. It's a group of... I mean, there's not one likable person in the whole show, <laughs> so you just kind of want them all. you want them all to die. But there is a school play called the the gallows i'm not familiar with it i don't know if they made it up for the movie yeah but it involves someone being hung right. and then there's like a malfunction with the stage and this kid actually hangs himself in front of like an entire audience including his parents <laughs> so he kind of haunts the school and does this ghost get revenge totally i don't want i don't even know if i should like give any spoilers out it's very good good kills good kills great kills spooky kills and the best part is that there's, like, no good guy winning, <laughs> which is great. There's this part where, you know, the hangman ghost of the guy that hung himself is chasing, not really chasing, but following all these teens that are in the school after dark, killing them off one by one. It's fantastic. There's a part where the door unlocks and one of the, well, the main guy, his name's Reese, I believe, he has a chance to get out of the school and save himself. But then there's a girl who is stuck in the school and then he hears her screaming. So he has the choice. Do I either save myself or do I go back and save her? Should have made the selfish decision. Well, he goes back and turns out that she is the daughter of the ghost. No! <laughs> yeah. Wait, so there's like a huge gap in time between the play and like when this new set of kids... Right, I want to say it. the play was like in 1993 or mm. something like that, and the movie takes place in like modern times. Okay. So yeah, I should have mentioned that. But yeah, <laughs> it's... um. Got a good ghost baby twist. That's cool, and it's it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. That's what I liked. And about cops die in it. You know, cops like always come to save the day when they die. That's good. So it's super scary. It's <laughs> <laughs> always fun to watch. Yeah, totally. That's what I liked about that um, found footage movie Unfriended from a couple years ago. Was mm. that every single kid was such a shithead, right? And there's like no good turnout possible. Right, like, you, you just don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like, take them all. <laughs> take them all. Anything else? Oh, I kind of half-ass watched Children Shouldn't Play with the Dead Things. <laughs> I love that title. What is that? <laughs> it's a movie about, I want to say it's, shoot, like from the early 70s. It's super like very indie, very, you know, I think there's like a $50,000 budget or something like that. Super low budget. Right. It's a theater troupe that decides to take like a field trip at night by boat to an island that's used as a cemetery for criminals. <laughs> and the um sort of like the leader of this theater troupe is a director i want to say his name's alan and he is like the most obnoxious character that i've ever seen in a film so it's really hard for me to like keep going with it he wears like this party city wizard cape and tries to do like a satanic seance and then they uh, they dig up a guy named they name him orville or his name might be orville well so they're basically like playing it with his corpse yeah like they're throwing his body around like oh, let's have a fake marriage and then they like throw like a little 
paper cloth How on him. They're like in their twenties, <laughs> and they're just like playing with this dead body, and then all the dead bodies come to life and just start getting at him. But it's it's really cool because it's. Not all the zombies sort of look alike. Like, some have that weird, like, green pigment to their skin. Yeah. Some have, like, yellow. There are some that are blue. Some that are gray. <laughs> it's just, like, it's fantastic. The, the, um, the zombie part's really great. And it has more of, like, a, a slasher vibe to it instead of more of, like, a zombie movie vibe. Yeah. Because, you know, stupid teens stuck <laughs> on an island. Yeah. Murder. Do they, like, smoke weed and have sex and then immediately get killed? None of that, really. (laughs) But kind of. That's usually, like, the start of the mayhem in those movies. It's just, I don't know. Another one where you just don't really vibe with anyone and you don't care if they die. (laughs) That's like the slasher model. Yeah. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Children shouldn't play with dead things. That's a great title. Yeah, it's fantastic. I watched uh, a movie with a similarly, like, long-ass title like that. Uh, (laughs) I don't feel at home in this world anymore. (laughs) It's on Netflix. Sounds like something I wrote in my journal when I was 15. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the title's from like an old folk song or something. It's on Netflix. It stars Melanie Linsky. And it's directed by this guy who was in Blue Ruin and Green Room, uh, the two Jer- Jeremy Solnay movies. It's a revenge thriller. Sweet. Where Melanie Linsky just keeps getting more and more aggravated by these like everyday aggressions. Like people skipping her in line at the grocery store. <laughs> Or people just being rude on the road with, like, uh, they're, like, giant loud trucks with, like, the ridiculous exhaust pouring out. And then eventually her um, laptop is stolen and her her grandmother's um, fine silver. And she just snaps. And she goes on a revenge mission with Elijah Wood, who kind of looks like a metalhead version of, like, Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. <laughs> and the Whoa. movie just suddenly becomes this, like, ridiculous comedy. Where they follow all the clues as to who robbed them, and every hunch they have turns out to be exactly correct, and they end up being in this like bloody knockout brawl with um with like these meth heads who who robbed her, uh, and they're led by <laughs> David Yao from Jesus Lizard, and the movie just what? gets more and more like heightened and ridiculous, and by the end it's just like the bloodiest comedy you've seen in a in a while, or I've seen in a while. It um it really surprised me. It got like kind of uh okay reviews i think it did really well at sundance and then went straight to netflix and people were like they liked it but it wasn't really enthusiastic and i was totally into it i mean like howling laughing a lot of like surprise like bursts of violence like a finger will get broken like shockingly gruesomely or like someone will get like Sweet. their Sweet. throat slit mm-hmm. all of a sudden it, it, it really just like yes raises in ridiculousness until it just ends at its most ridiculous point i'm always looking for a good bloody comedy so yeah. <laughs> that's no, it's, it's highly recommended. Sweet. It's it's from this year, too, so it's a 2017 movie. Oh, and with also, Elijah Wood? Yeah. Oh, he's been doing some weird, weird stuff. He's got these, like, ridiculous wireframe, like, child molester glasses and, like, uh, <laughs> this, like, really long rat tail, and he wears, like, <laughs> uh, like sleeveless tank tops throughout oh the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's definitely mm-hmm. a sight. Yes. And I also fell in love with this movie, Orlando, from 1992. Do you know that? No, never uh, heard of it. Tilda Swinton stars in it, and it's a Virginia Woolf fantasy oh. novel oh. from the 20s. Tilda Swinton stars as a man, uh, this guy named Orlando, who's a lord, um, and Quentin Crisp plays Queen Elizabeth, and he, or she promises Orlando that he can hold on to his family's land as long as he never gets old. And he stands up to that promise and ends up living hundreds of years. So you get to see Tilda Swinton like through the centuries in different garb. 
And then about halfway through the movie, Orlando changes sex and becomes a woman. And oh my gosh. Completely <laughs> wow. unexplained. She just goes from Lord Orlando to Lady Orlando, and that's just how it is. Uh, and it's just this really beautiful, like, costume drama. Like, if you're really into, like, just lavish costumes from, like, old period settings and stuff, um, and just, like, beautiful tapestries, like, kind of those, like, living tableaus. Mm. Like, it's just a gorgeous movie that follows, like, kind of a weird fairy tale logic, nice. and there's no, like, arc to the story other than that you get to see Tilda Swinton just like live forever and you know she can rock any outfit oh yeah so that must be great it's also like her in the 90s too I didn't know she was around back then like, I never really paid attention to her until maybe like three or four years ago I, I know I was, I was like who is this woman as like the white queen in the Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia I didn't know she was in that either oh, that's whenever I'm like who is this lady I yeah. love her She's I remember great. she was in, like, Grand Budapest Hotel and, like, Snowpiercer and, like, a couple other movies all like, at once. I Am Love. I don't know that one either. I bought it at a garage sale and I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> but I have it, so. Well, this is her, like, in it. peak form and you get to see her, like, star in this movie pretty much solo. Like, yes. all these, like, different characters will drift through. Like I said, Quentin Crisp is in it and Billy Zane will show up, but he's gone in, like, three minutes. <laughs> like, it's really just all about Tilda Swinton. Uh, <laughs> now, I highly recommend it. It's a really gorgeous film. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking about some more magical realism, but in the form of a cheesy Brittany Murphy rom-com. Yes. And also uh, some more badass women uh, in the form of, what would you call that? A weird, like, cooped up horror film. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word for it. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Nobody's running this goddess out of town. The longer I'm here, the more I realize... I don't understand anything or anybody. Like my boss, I... I used to think it was the language and now... Now I realize I just don't get him at all. It's a fucking bowl of soup, for Christ's sakes. Tell a man to get over it. Mm-mm. No, no. There's something about the Japanese and making the perfect bowl of soup. It's kind of beautiful. It's like... With each bowl, you try to get closer to perfection. I think that's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? It's insane. Listen to me. The only way you're going to survive in this country is to do what everybody else does. Drink. Mm. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Today I made Brittany watch a movie from 2008 called Ramen Girl. This is starring Brittany Murphy. It's an American-Japanese co-production. Um, and it's kind of like a ditzy rom-com version of Tom Popo, which is the ramen western. In Tom Popo, uh, you get to see this like long process of how intricate ramen is from like making it to eating it and how there's like this sort of like metaphysical aspect of constructing the perfect bowl of ramen as well as consuming it uh, and ramen girl kind of picks up where that movie leaves off by turning it into this like by the books rom-com Brittany murphy moves to tokyo to be with a boyfriend who immediately leaves her after <laughs> one night together and she's heartbroken so she goes to this shop that's right across from her balcony, framed like a perfect picture. She's weeping in this uh, in this poor couple's restaurant after they've already closed. And they take pity on her. And the, uh, the man who is the head chef at the restaurant makes her a bowl of ramen that fixes her broken heart. And she suddenly feels so much better. 
and decides to dedicate her life to learning the the craft of making ramen. Um, and the movie has this sort of like magical realism aspect to it where ramen can either make you laugh or make you cry depending on the emotion of the person who made it and the intention of what they did. And you get to see Brittany Murphy put her life back together and become a whole person again through the craft of ramen. <laughs> Brittany, <laughs> what did you think of Ramen Girl? I loved it. <laughs> it was so great. Well, I guess I never... I don't even think we have ramen shops around here. There's, like, maybe one ramen place. There's, like, place. combination places where you get, like, yeah. hibachi and ramen or, like, sushi and ramen. Right. But we don't have a lot of, like, regular just straight-up ramen shops here. Right. What was interesting about that is, like, I just didn't know that ramen was a thing until I was, like, 15 years old. I always thought it was ramen noodles. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. You really need to see Tom Popo. I should have made you watch that as well. But that will like, educate me. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, like, funny how it, it shows how much care goes into the ramen. It's nuts. Does that come across in this movie too? Like Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Where, you know, this this guy, I can't remember the oh, the the older gentleman that owns the ramen shop, whatever yeah. his name might be. I mean, he dedicated his whole life to like making ramen and mm-hmm. putting his soul into it. So, I don't it was really nice just to see how all these like little parts all come together and they make <laughs> this perfect bowl of ramen. Yeah. It's it's about the noodles and then it's about the broth and it's about <laughs> What you put in it, in one part, she puts corn and tomatoes in it. And he flips out. Goddess ramen. Peppers <laughs> and corn and tomatoes. I mean, he liked, it looked like he liked it a little bit. Yeah. He balked at the concept at first. He but, liked it. Yeah. He just, he wasn't feeling it. Right, right. <laughs> he wasn't feeling it. I just really, I love Brittany Murphy in this movie. She's so, like, every time she smiles, I would smile. Whenever she would get stoked about doing something, I'm like, yay, yay. Yeah, she has like a raw the emotion. Ramen shop. Um, yeah, she has like a raw emotion yeah. to her. Like you can always tell what she's feeling uh, just right. from like her face. It seems like really genuine for a movie that's like obviously very silly. A lot of the comedy in right. the movie is her butting heads with this ramen chef who uh, doesn't even speak her language. Like she's trying to translate Japanese out of this uh, this book, um, <laughs> and he just tells her to do things like clean the toilets and wash the floors and do the dishes. Um, and very calls... karate kid. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he calls her an idiot a bunch and they, they don't really like get along at all. So it's kind of funny for a movie that, that draws a lot of its, hu- its humor like that for her to still be able to like convey real emotion. There's something about them though, where I didn't really have any dislike for the gentleman that owned the ramen shop, oh, yeah. you know, even though he's being rude to her, there's just some, there's like a, a love, not like a romantic love connection, but just sort of this like really great friendship like between. Fatherly. Right. And you recognize it from the moment they start talking. It's fantastic. It's so great. I mean, at the end of the day, she was like a white girl coming into his shop, like trying to learn his craft in like a week. (laughs) So (laughs) what he's done all his life. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of funny that he's like making fun of her for not being like, for being naive and not knowing what she's talking about. But I just loved how determined she was. Like how crazy it must be to like move to a country where you don't know the language. You have no idea what you're doing. Your boyfriend leaves you after that one (laughs) night and you're just like, hey, I want to learn ramen. Teach me ramen. <laughs> and she doesn't give up. I mean, this guy's like making her scrub the floor, the toilets, fighting with her. She's probably not getting paid for most of it. Yeah. And she just keeps at it. She, she doesn't give up. And she she's goes, just so determined. She goes through a lot of like degradation early on. Like 
He's like throwing a box at her. Yeah. <laughs> He's really violent. Uh, when the boyfriend breaks up with her, she's like stranded on the street in like mm-hmm. a bath towel, like naked <laughs> right. and like depressed. In Tokyo. And people are like laughing at her openly in the street. It's it's pretty depressing. Most people probably would have like jumped off a bridge at that point, but she just keeps going. Yeah. She's a very determined, like badass in here and I love it. It's sort of reminded me of Chocolat and like like water for chocolate these movies where people like put their soul in their food and it was reminding me of like uh, practical magic or something oh yeah uh, not, it's not even a movie the, I, the magic soup yeah it's not even a movie i particularly like but just that idea of like mixing like a little bit of like supernatural magic right. into like this like regular rom-com situation um and also the movie we're talking about on the site this month head over heels uh <laughs> it's got a similar sort of like insanity to it it's a rom-com but it moves very quickly and all the uh events are very absurd and heightened like uh when she first tastes ramen for the first time and has her like breakthrough moment there's this magical gust of wind that blows through the shop (laughs) and um she looks at one of those lucky cat statues that like beckons her with like a moving cgi arm it's like what am i even watching this is absolutely insane I want it to happen to me. <laughs> so you know how everyone has this fantasy like, oh, I want to move to Tuscany and redo a little cottage and make a vineyard. Like this was sort of, you know, ooh, I want a ramen shop. Yeah. I want to I be a ramen girl. It's a different kind of fantasy. And it's, right. it's funny that it was like produced or co-produced by a Japanese production company. And Brittany Murphy. Oh, she paid, she paid a production She was a credit? producer. That's awesome. But it's like kind of a funny idea that they would have this story where she's basically like this one white person in a completely Asian cast, um, except for these two weirdos she meets at a nightclub. And they're like cartoons, like <laughs> Corella Deville, and I don't even know what. To... The sassiest the gay, sassy like, gay uh, guy. He's like a gay Bagger Vance or something. Both, yeah, both <laughs> of them are just like, oh, let's go out tonight. Oh, oh, like they have this like really cartoonish way of like talking and the way they dress. Yeah, it's just. It's very, very strange. And she meets them, like, after being in Tokyo for, like, what, two seconds? And then they're her best friends. Yeah, she goes to a nightclub, and they just kind of, like, single her out. Uh, I have no idea what the gay guy does for money, but the <laughs> uh, the woman is a prostitute? <laughs> well, I was sort of confused, because there's one part where, you know, she's talking with the her love interest, and she's like, I can't do that to my friend, because she assumes that she he's, like, dating her prostitute friend. Right. And I'm like, did I miss something? Y'all known each other for two days. Right. So I had to like rewind a couple of parts. I'm like, nope, they just met. So it just kind of shows you how sweet Brittany Murphy is, you know? Yeah. She's sort of like, oh, like I just met you, but we're best friends and we're family now. And I don't know. She's just, it's so nice. Even for the prostitute though, like she goes to Brittany Murphy when she like gets in trouble. Right. She has like a, uh, she shows up with like a black eye at some point and just sort of like. Ran into the door. She says it just like that. Jesus. (laughs) And she just sees in this, like, this ramen girl, like, somebody with, like, an open art who will, like, be nice to her. <gasps> Wait, I'm just, like, connecting stuff. So, she, it's like she was meant to make the ramen. <laughs> she was put on this earth to do that. I could, I could see it now. <laughs> now that you, like, mentioned it, like, you know, she makes everyone happy that's around her. No yeah. one ever looks sad, except for the ramen guy, the ramen man. Well, when she first makes her first magical bowl of ramen, it mm-hmm. actually makes people weep. <laughs> right, because she was really sad. Because she was sad when she made it. <laughs> oh, and I kept thinking, like, they're crying into the soup and they're eating their tears. Yeah, they're, so, they're so self-salting. <laughs> but uh, the the guy, well, the chef has much more control. Like, he can make a bowl of ramen and intentionally make someone laugh. Right, well, whenever he made that uh, bowl of ramen where she's, like, pissing her pants laughing and that mm-hmm. other guy is, too... 
And, I mean, the whole time, Ramen Man is <laughs> just looks so pissed off at the world. So it's like, why did he make a happy bowl of soup? What is he doing? Is he, like, secretly smiling while he, like, stirs his broth and makes his noodles? But, okay, so when they show him preparing that laughing gas bowl of ramen, like, all they show him do differently is, like, he goes over to the pot of noodles and, like, intentionally sort of, like, waves them around in, like, a, a way Slow. that, <laughs> I don't know. Those noodles look so damn good. Yeah. There's, like, special attention so shown good. to the, the noodles and, like, the broth and stuff like that. It's gotta be hard to make. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, after watching this... It really is a craft you can, like, dedicate, like, most of your life to perfecting. It's not a three-minute miracle no. in a top ramen bag. <laughs> Have you ever seen that um, documentary, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? No. Uh, it's kind of a similar thing, but it's, like, a real-life story. Oh. Uh, but this guy, like... <laughs> Magic sushi? He, like, makes the best sushi in Japan, and he dedicates his whole life to it, and he still is, like not satisfied with himself like he's still like <laughs> trying to like oh no perfect the process and then the, uh later in the movie Brittany murphy goes up before this sort of like grandmaster of ramen um, right even though she's learned how to put her heart into the soup and like make from the heart magical ramen it's still not good enough like she i took it as like she's still like not quite ready there had yeah. to be like that one more thing and i feel like it was done I feel like it wasn't her that needed to take the extra step. I feel like it was Ramen Man needing to rekindle the relationship with his son. And once he did that, it sort of gave her that okay. So I feel yeah. like if the ramen master would have had her ramen after all that, it would have been okay. <laughs> One cool thing about that guy, uh, the uh, the master ramen chef, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's like Sutamu Yamazaki. Uh, he's the main character from Tampopo. Oh, uh, whoa. So <laughs> I guess they were intentionally like I referencing. If he really cooks ramen oh, in I don't real think life. So. I mean, they had him in, he's in two ramen movies. He's an actor. Who could say that? I think it was like a reference to Tom Popo, like kind of like, okay. like, oh, like yeah. kind of like uh, exalting. <laughs> that it. makes more sense. I'm sure he's eaten uh, a, a few like really great bowls of ramen in his life. He probably but... has a cookbook. He definitely has a cookbook. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a super, super good movie. And I'm going to try to find my. My perfect bowl of ramen <laughs> ASAP. Yeah, there, I'm sure there is, like, a really good bowl of ramen in this city somewhere. I used to hear... They the... better put their heart into it. <laughs> or I'll send it straight back. Yeah, I, I demand magic. Uh, <laughs> there there was this uh, shop on, um, you know, the karaoke sushi place on Carrollton Uptown? Um, yeah. Apparently their ramen was really good. Yeah. I don't know. It, I used to really like it, but I haven't been in a while. I'm gonna give it a shot. Yeah. Oh, and there's noodle and pie. You know, I, I noodle and pie. Yeah, I've have had their ramen. It's pretty tasty. Yeah. They have like a one with a crab broth. Okay. One last thing before we shut this down. Yeah. I just want to read you the taglines from this movie because it's so good. <laughs> All right. Done. First one. The missing ingredient is love. <laughs> She's cooking up a storm. Whoa. <laughs> But this is my favorite one. Her romance is on pins and noodles. <laughs> I think I think you can kind of get the grasp of like how silly this movie is from there. But Brittany Murphy really does uh, add like a real pathos to it. Like she makes it like a um, she just has like a really intense screen presence that that elevates the material a little bit. It's a cheesy idea, but she makes it not cheesy. <laughs> it's still cheesy. It's cheesy, but like not super bad cheesy. Yeah. It's it's pleasant. It's a pleasant watching experience. Which is really all you can ask from like a rom com. Totally. Like, that's exactly what you're looking that's for. It's a when great rom com. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree.
good and do as I am told. I'm mama's little angel and papa says I'm good as gold. But when I'm very bad and answer back and sass, then I'm mama's little devil and papa says I've got the brass. And now it's time for our feature conversation. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the cult classic Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962. Woo! As well as its made-for-TV remake from 1991. Uh. <laughs> this sort of came up because of Ryan Murphy's feud, which is currently on the television. I honestly only made it about two episodes into it before I lost a lot of steam. Really? Um, yeah, I could watch more. I just wasn't like passionately into it. Okay. But I will say that Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis and Jessica Lange as Joan Crawford are both very interesting performances. I love Susan Sarandon in particular um, on that show. She's really great. And also Bianca Del Rio recently did a drag version of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane on stage. <laughs> Uh, and the images That's from that amazing. were amazing. Um, so it's just sort of been on my mind lately. Was she baby Jane or was she Blanche? Uh, she was uh, adult Jane Hudson and she had oh. a little drag boy uh, play, uh, <laughs> like, a, like a real child, play uh, the original baby Jane, which is great. Fantastic. So the original baby Jane, uh, like I said, it's from the early 60s. It is a knowingly campy movie. Debatably, we're not sure if... Uh, Joan Crawford was in on how campy the production was, but at least the director and um, Betty Davis seemed to be. Uh, it's a film about two women who grew up more famous than they are in their older years. One, Baby Jane Hudson, played by <laughs> Betty Davis, was a famous vaudeville star, so she sang these like cutesy songs on stage. Uh, the main one from this movie is uh, I'm Sending a Letter to Daddy. <laughs> Which is Address to Heaven above. This is like really creepy novelty song about her dead dad. So bad. Uh, and mostly her act is like used to sell these like baby dolls in the mm-hmm. lobby. So she starts off the more famous one. Later in their adult years, her screen tests are awful for movies, but her sister, Blanche Hudson, uh, becomes a better actress and scores a lot of like really big Hollywood roles. And then in their elder years, Blanche is crippled from a mysterious accident and baby Jane is her caretaker and keeps her locked up on the top floor of their house in a wheelchair and brings her her meals and takes care of like the bills and like all the household stuff even though baby Jane Hudson has grown up to be something someone who's horrifically unhinged like Betty Davis is like a monster in this movie like really over the top deranged and I've heard it described on Feud no less as like a horror film which is something I never really considered it as the first couple times I watched it but I guess it is sort of like a weird horror movie about this lady who is like keeping her sister locked up right. and like it's spooky controlling her food intake in her entire <laughs> life really before we really get into it, I want to read you this like uh, press release about the movie, which I thought was pretty funny. Things you should know about this motion picture before buying a ticket. If you're a long-standing fan of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, we warn you that this is quite unlike anything they've ever done. You are urged to see it from the beginning. Be prepared for the macabre and the terrifying. We ask your pledge to keep the shocking climax a secret. <laughs> when the tension begins to build, try to remember, it's just a movie. Whoa, that would have scared the shit out of me. <laughs> So, when you and I first met, we used to exchange DVDs at work. Right. Uh, we shared an office with, like, 20 other people. Right. Um, this was one of the movies you made me watch. I had never seen it before you lent me the DVD. So, yeah. what is your relationship with the Baby Jane movie? I've always had a thing for old Betty Davis. Yeah. And pretty much every movie from, I mean, around, you know, Baby Jane era moving forward, 
she's been very crazy as her you know whatever character she plays she's like a scary old bitty yes <laughs> oh god yeah and it's she always has this ridiculous red lipstick on this insane like Tammy Faye Baker eye makeup and she, it just kind of always I always see her as baby Jane Hudson regardless of like what role she's in because she kind of keeps that baby Jane vibe going in this one she like might have ruined her takes on like foundation right she's like this really disgusting white face mm-hmm. and the movie's filmed in like stark black and white so you can really see the texture of the makeup on her total ghost right yeah it's really harsh bad. lighting watching it again for the um the podcast i was sort of like looking around her face every time she like made an emotion <laughs> on her face to see if like any powder would just kind of like poof, like come off <laughs> like if she smiled or something didn't really see that so i mean who knows am i just been straight up face paint <laughs> um something i did want to like mention with baby jane is the whole um baby jane hudson doll situation yeah so the doll, like that's like the first thing that I usually think of when I think of this movie is the the part where the title's appearing in the movie and there's this baby Jane Hudson um, life-size <laughs> baby doll. It's like the size of a my-size Barbie. Right. But porcelain, I believe. And it's smashed in by the gate and then it's whatever happened to baby Jane sort of pops up. So I've started to wonder... Was this something that they used to, like, market the movie? Like, did they actually have Baby Jane Hudson dolls that they were selling? So I go to the internet, and I try to find out about this. Couldn't really find anything. And then I came across something absolutely amazing. It's a blog called Confessions of a Dolly Lover. Oh, God. And it's um, a bunch of dolly lovers, or people who are obsessed with baby dolls. Like, super obsessed. And... The description of the blog, which I do want to mention because it's fantastic. Dolly reviews, news, stories, and other doll-related stuff, plus some possible Christian and conservative commentary. Whoa. <laughs> and the randomness that goes on in our lives. And <laughs> it's so great. Everybody that, needs to read it. That only got scarier as you went along. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Um, I'm terrified by dolls in general, which is why I'm attracted to, like, evil doll horror movies. Well... The last podcast I was on, we talked about it, and here yeah. we are again. The doll stuff. Well, the little girl that plays young Jane Hudson, little Janie, is a, a girl named Julie Allred. And mm. this was the only movie, the first and only movie she was ever in, because her parents were, like, super conservative. So I guess they let her play in this scary as shit movie. <laughs> and they were like, oh, nope, you can't be in movies anymore. You can't, you know, our religion doesn't allow it, basically. And then she just never played anything again. But whenever they, you know, the movie was finished um, being filmed, they let her keep one of the Baby Jane dolls. And she kept it until she died in 2011. So it's somewhere. Was she buried with it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I didn't find that out. But it's somewhere out there. But, of course, there wasn't just that one. There were all the other ones that they were selling. So it turns out that Betty Davis got a couple. Like, what? she got a handful, and she just gave them all away because she just didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. They're out there, so what's funny I'm about, keeping my eye out. What's funny about the kid who plays Baby Jane, like, as a kid? Right. She's not particularly talented. You watch her on the... <laughs> You watch her on the stage singing the song about her dad, her dead daddy, and <laughs> the guy who plays her dad in the movie is the one selling the act. God, he's, like, he's he- so bad. <laughs> he's the worst dad. I just kept, like, where's CPS? <laughs> but he's a pretty good salesman. He, he sells those selling dolls. Selling his really kid. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> Making her, like, an obnoxious douchebag. Yeah. 
And then later you see Betty Davis trying to revive the act as an adult, <laughs> wearing the same dresses. Oh, uh, yes. These like nasty ratty wigs and the caked on makeup again and singing the same song, but even worse, like even screechier. Seeing caked on face makeup, baby doll dress, Betty Davis saying, daddy, is it's going to haunt your dreams for yeah. the rest of your life. It's very, very creepy. It's like a haunted house act, but it's also like a drag <laughs> show in a weird way too. There's something like really over the top and performative about it. I honestly do think she steals this movie from Joan Crawford in like every scene she's in. Oh, totally. She's wasted drunk um, and obviously like, off her rocker, as they say. <laughs> she's wasted drunk. She has a cabinet full of liquor bottles that are empty. <laughs> Obviously, she's a hoarder. She does not want to throw them away. I was, yeah. oh, I was getting so nervous where I'm like, throw the glass it's kind of away. Like a, it's like a Grey Garden situation, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and that happened after Oh this. yeah. Totally. So did they... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's like... You know that thing they say about um, people that, like, you emotionally stay the same age you are when you get famous? Like, she's that to, like, a horrific degree. That makes sense. I've never heard it. I never heard anyone say it. I didn't know those things. Yeah, so, like, people who get, like, famous when they're super young are usually, like, really fucked because you have, like, someone telling you yes all the time and, like, sort of, like, bowing to your And that's why they all go nuts. Like, Jonathan Brandis. Killed Who's himself. That? The guy from Neverending Story. Oh, poor guy. He played in um something else. Sequest. <laughs> Rest in peace. He was great. But yeah, uh, she she basically is like a t- tyrannical like six year old throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie, even though she's like well into her sixties. Right. And Joan Crawford doesn't really get as much to do. Like she's m- mostly just like horrified. There's this one shot I really over dramatic. She's yeah. so over dramatic. But like trying to like retain her like movie star poise. Like mm-hmm. she tries to stay glamorous even though she's like wheelchair bound <laughs> wheelchair. and is, and is eventually eventually like being starved to death by her sister. The only <laughs> scene I could think of where she goes as over the top as Davis is um, I think it might be after she sees the dead rat on the platter that her sister feed, feeds her for lunch, and right. she just wheels in a circle. Like, she just <laughs> frantically wheels her wheelchair in a circle. <laughs> the sliced tomatoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, obviously, like, John Waters with Desperate, Living, oh, Desperate yeah. Living with the rat dish. Yeah. 100% from this movie. Yeah, so it's like a really nice silver platter with a cover, and then you remove it. And <laughs> you it's know, like... we got rats in the cellar. <laughs> Uh, not only does she have the bed of tomatoes for dressing, but um, also like one perfect dollop of uh, blue cheese. Oh, or I didn't co- notice not, uh, that. Cottage cheese. Where was it in the middle? You know, it might not be on the rat, but when she serves the dead bird to her earlier, the, in the dead movie, right. There's definitely like a little dollop. She of, gives uh, cottage some. Cheese. She puts her heart in it, just like the ramen girl. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, Baby Jane's bowl of ramen. Her dead animal dishes. But basically, she's just gaslighting her sister and making her go insane. <laughs> right. Do you do you think Joan Crawford holds her own here? Does she, like, command the screen as well as uh, Betty Davis does? <sighs> no. No yeah. way in hell. I mean, this was a Betty Davis movie. It's a Betty Davis movie. I mean, it's known that way. It's not known as a Joan Crawford flick. It's totally... This is a Betty Davis movie, and for a good reason. She's freaking phenomenal in and, it. And she turned it into a career. Like, she made stuff like Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte and, like... Boom. Yeah. The Nanny was another one. Well, apparently Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which I know I totally made you watch. Mm-hmm. Freaking love that movie. Yeah. Takes Set place in Louisiana, Ascension right? Parish. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to sort of be like the second whatever happened to Baby Jane. The um, what's his the director Aldrich? Ro- Robert Aldrich. Right. He did the um, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte as well, where um, Joan Crawford was actually supposed to play Miriam, but then all the the shade was being thrown between. 
Crawford and Davis and eventually she was replaced well Joan Crawford was replaced with Olivia de Havilland mm-hmm. for the role of Miriam so it's kind of you can kind of see how both of these movie like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane they kind of have that pattern of a woman is pretty much living in torment her whole life for something she thought that she did but she really didn't do and she goes <laughs> insane from it and yeah. people are just fucking with her you know so it's it was pretty in- i didn't really make that connection until i watched well, I watched both of them kind of back to back and it was pretty awesome i'm surprised that um they tried to make another movie with the two of them together considering how much they clashed on set even though this was like a popular film for two actresses who hadn't had a popular film for a while <laughs> Um, and that's what the movie kind of plays right. off as it's them past their prime. Right. There's like a meta context to that. But um, I know for the Oscar campaign for Baby Jane, Betty Davis was nominated for Best Actress, which is kind of ridiculous given like how like over the top the performance is. Right. Like, you don't see that kind of performance get nominated anymore. No, um, but it should be. It should be totally every year. <laughs> uh, so Joan Crawford was like pissed that. Betty Davis was the one that got the nomination. So she basically finagled a deal with Anne Bancroft oh. so that uh, Anne Bancroft wasn't there to accept her reward if she was if she won the Oscar. And uh, Joan Crawford was going to go on stage and accept the statue for Anne Bancroft. <laughs> and that's exactly what <laughs> happened, was that uh, Joan Crawford accepted an Oscar on stage for Anne Bancroft uh, when Betty Davis lost, which is kind of like a ridiculous, petty thing. So to think of the two of them going to uh, Louisiana to film this, like, <laughs> nasty well, knockdown film together is kind of ridiculous. Apparently, like, both of them accused each other of sleeping with the director. Right. Which is like, oh, like, he likes you more because you're sleeping with them. They each did it to each other. And there was some point where, I mean, Davis was, like, the queen of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. And I want to say Joan Crawford, like, arrived by plane and, like, no one picked her up. <laughs> so she was just there by herself. So and she didn't even get the role. So degrading. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) So, Joan Crawford, like you're saying, got degraded like that. And then she didn't want to lose her glamour the same way that Betty Davis did. Like, Betty Davis had no problem going over the top and making herself, like, physically ugly. And, like, giving herself another role. And you have Joan Crawford. I I guess you could argue that... Bougie. Yeah. Totally bougie. You could argue that that fits Blanche Hudson's, like, character. But it feels like it's in a different movie. And it's really funny to hear that because she was the one that read the pulpy whatever happened to baby Jane novel and decided I need to make this movie with Betty Davis to bring my career back. Did not know that she decided like no. she brought the project to Robert Altrich and decided like this will be good for the two of us. Cause they used to be rivals at universal cause they worked on the same um, movie lot and they kind of competed for roles. Basically like movie studios used to own actors and put them in whatever movies they bought. So the two of them were like in active competition with each other. She reads this really trashy novel and decides, like, <laughs> this is our lives. Like, we need to put this on screen. Jesus. So to think of, like, her going on set and then keeping her restrained, like, poise is very strange, c- considering, like, how much Betty Davis committed to the role and then turned it into a career. Which is interesting that she decided... I mean, I wonder if she was like, I, I want to be Blanche. <laughs> I mean, she must... Blanche ended up being the asshole, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, totally. So it's interesting if she, if she did choose to be blanche i mean to be fair they're both monsters just in like different ways but like (laughs) jane it's like oh my god feed her all the fucking rats that she could find screw this girl (laughs) she ruined your life a similar uh real life uh scenario playing out on the screen in 1991's made for tv baby jane shot on phenomenal shot on video 
Uh, so it's got this kind of nasty video quality to it, uh, in color, and it's starring Vanessa Redgrave as Blanche Hudson and her real-life sister Lynn Redgrave as Baby Jane Hudson. And I guess it is kind of like a similar dynamic where, like, Lynn Redgrave is acting out as Baby Jane, viciously taking out her jealousies on her sister for being, like, the more, um, famous of the, of the pair. Right. Uh, and it's kind of funny to watch these two real-life sisters work out this, like, has-been rivalry. And they're both actresses, so I wonder if that damaged their relationship, (laughs) or if they actually, like, let out some of their real, like hatred towards each other. Have you ever roles. seen Lynn Redgrave before? Like, I've never even heard of her before this. No, but after she pretty much pulls off looking like it <laughs> while being, like, Baby Jane at the same time, I'm a little obsessed and I want to, like, watch everything she's done. Yeah, I, I knew Vanessa Redgrave from, like, The Devils, like the Ken Russell movie, and mm-hmm. um, Camelot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I knew her from, like, a couple big True. productions. So I know she's, like, a real, she's like, like a classic stage. Actress. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Kind of the same dynamic as uh, as Joan Crawford being like right. the, the, uh, the more poised of the actresses. Right. Um, where Lynn Gregrave goes all fucking in in this movie. I was interested in watching this because I saw a couple screen grabs of Lynn Redgrave's makeup from this movie. Right. Um, and she does the same kind of like overgrown person in their like late 50s dressing like a baby doll thing. But she kind of looks more like, like sh- you know, post Woodstock. She looks like Raggedy Ann. Right. Me. She has like a a puka shell necklace that's pretty huge, yeah. and she has pigtails, her sunglasses with her, like, flower power kind of little dresses and stuff. Okay, her next-door neighbor calls her a ratty old flower child. Oh, boom. <laughs> Looks like she was trampled at Woodstock, <laughs> which is really fucked up pretty insult, true, but very true. Right. Um, she was, gr- I freaking loved her. Yeah, she's got these, like, really colorful cheeks and lipstick, but everything else is so pallid and gross next to like, it. Like, she has no foundation. Mm-hmm. She just has, like, blush, lipstick, and super blue eyeshadow. And, uh, what, and what, eyeliner. <laughs> yeah, one eyeliner. scene, she stares directly in the mirror and applies her eyeliner, <laughs> which usually goes in these, like, Raggedy Ann-type lines, like, she's just kind of drawing on lashes on her face. Right. But she sort of loses herself in the moment and just starts drawing black <laughs> eyeliner all over her cheek. Like, she extends... She's, like, scribbling it. <laughs> It's so good. Ugh. I expected to think that this was a cheesy mess, but I ended up finding finding it like really engaging in like a lifetime movie kind of way. Mm-hmm. I like how it wasn't the same as 1962 Baby Jane. Right. I find Blanche in this movie to be super unlikable. Yeah. She's so like mean. I mean, her sister who's losing her mind gives her this great Annie Lennox haircut and she just like yells at her to the point where you know Jane wasn't doing it on purpose and it it really hurts her feelings that really pissed me off yeah and there's I kind felt of, so bad for there's her there's this like tragic aspect of Jane too where the entire time people keep repeating the fact that she's off her medication and she's kind of like this pathetic like the idea that she's trapped as a kid in this like grown up body is made to be more pathetic and like kind of melodramatic in a way that changes the character. Like it's not quite as like villainous as no. what Betty Davis. You just does feel it. really, really bad for her the whole time and you just want to like comfort her and give her a hug, but not too close because you don't know <laughs> what she's going to do. It kind of makes more sense for this, this source material, this like cheesy pulp novel to be turned into, like, a Lifetime-type movie. Right. Instead of, like, a high-fluting, like, Oscar film with, like, these, like, two <laughs> knockout, like, Hollywood 
heavyweights. <laughs> right. Just the Redgrave sisters. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of makes more sense for it to be like made for TV garbage. And it's got kind of like a uh, weird fascination to it. Like the tourist trap or the baby or something like that. Like, I feel like I'm peeking in on something I shouldn't be watching. <laughs> right. Like you're stuck in the walls of their house. Yeah. <laughs> their Hollywood mansion. <laughs> oh my God. Can we talk about Billy Corn? Billy Corn with, with a K. <laughs> Like, just like the band. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually where the band got their name from. <laughs> okay. I'm lying. It's not no, really true. I wish that were true. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so this movie tries to update <laughs> Baby Jane by putting Blanche's old movies on VHS uh, instead of, like, airing on TV. Like, her career is having a resurgence because people are buying VHS tapes to it. So Jane gets jealous, and she goes down to the video store where she meets the owner, whose name is Billy Corn with a K. He is... I love him so much. He's fascinated with her and wants to revive her career because he is a sassy gay man, and he finds her, like, kitsch factor to be, like, very entertaining. Yes. Like, I never watched this movie until, like, a couple of days ago, and the minute he was like, oh, you're Baby Jane. Baby Jane Hudson. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, this guy is going to do whatever he can to get her ass on a stage so he could perform in full-on drag with her, and then what happened? You guessed that? I, like, I had a feeling. Also, because I think you mentioned, you were like, oh, there's a drag performance or something like uh, that. I Did you mention it. it? You, I don't know. I might have read something. I, <laughs> I kind of, like, had it drag in my mind, yeah. and I was like, oh, he wants it. And then he came out, and he was living as Blanche. Oh, you know what? I described Baby Jane's outfit as being daytime drag. Daytime drag. I think that, and I had drag in my mind, and when I saw, like, the glow in his eyes, I was like, he is gonna milk this for something <laughs> more than money. So and he did. <laughs> what he did. What he does is he, like, convinces her to revive her act. Right. Uh, and instead of sending a letter to Daddy, she sings this song, like... There should, should be, be love. love. Love should be, be there. Ooh. <laughs> he has her do it as a lip sync act, like a drag queen would. And she looks like day drag. Like, uh, right. There's this one episode of RuPaul All-Stars where they play basketball in the sunshine. Uh, and it's really <laughs> horrific looking. Or um, pictures of us on Mardi Gras Day as Divine. Um, she is crew Divine. Yeah. She, Call her up. Call her up. <laughs> she she belongs uh, in the crew. Um <laughs> So she's already kind of doing a drag routine. Right. Uh, and then once she gets to <laughs> she the club. She doesn't know it. For, yeah, that's the tragic part. <sighs> so once she gets to the club on her big opening night, she starts to get this feeling like, I'm in a gay bar? Like, she didn't realize it before <laughs> she got there. And what Billy Corn with a K has been telling her this whole time is that, oh, this is a duet and the club wants your sister to be there because the two of you should be singing it together. But don't worry, I'll take care of it. Because he knows, he's like, she's in a wheelchair. She'll never make it to the club. Right. But she has to be there. I must be Blanche. Like, he, oh, God, he's such a freak and I love him. Yeah. He comes out in full drag and <laughs> takes the sister's role in the in the it song. He doesn't tell her. I mean, what did he expect? Did he expect for her to just sort of go Roll along? With it? He knows how, like, emotionally, what's the word I'm looking for? Fragile. Fragile she is. So that was super dumb, Billy. And um, he later travels back to her house in full drag still to confront her for running out on him. At least take the wig off. Yeah. At least take the wig off. He's not even particularly like he's not dressed like her sister or anything. He's just like wearing kind of like a share outfit. But like no shit he looks just like Vanessa Redgrave. Oh god. <laughs> it was uncanny. There's just good good uh, casting. He has this. her bone structure that sort of very strong like cheek 
high cheekbone and this like very precise nose. Like it. He was doing like Hollywood glamour. Like that was Mm -hmm. definitely the look he was going for. And that might have been Blanche back in the day. We just saw that like weird clip of her in a VHS where this man's like almost kissing her kind of, and she's like, ugh, 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 (laughs) and that's it. But maybe that was how she was. You know what I mean? Like Blanche back in her prime. Right. She could have been like very, you know, very Cher. Okay. Before we leave the drag club, I just want to mention. I don't want to leave the drag club. Me neither. Ever. I want to stay here. Once baby Jane realizes what she's gotten into and that she's like not being made a mockery of, but it's not the gig that she thought it was. Right. She thought it was like the return to her career in vaudeville and it's not. It's nope. like a drag routine. Um, so the camera pans to the audience <laughs> and the freaks watching this uh, drag routine are my favorite people in the They're world. Baby Jane fans. They look. They have the girl dressed up like her <laughs> in the audience. And they look ridiculous. <laughs> it's almost like a freak show. Like, they're not all dressed like Baby Jane, but they all that look That one like... girl that's like, the camera yeah. zooms in on her and she's like bopping up and down with her pigtails. <laughs> but it's like a good hodgepodge of people. Yeah. Yeah. Bikers. Just Bi- oh, weirdos. Right. Uh, I love that scene so much. Just like home. (laughs) And another thing they do really well is you were talking about the creepy dolls uh, when we were talking about the last movie. Um, Right. This movie ups the doll quotia by like a thousand. (laughs) Uh, Their house has like so many baby Jane dolls and like other kinds of dolls just lying around. So the camera will pan across their faces, kind of like the freaks (laughs) in the drag club. Uh, You just see all these like still doll faces. And that's like Uh, the horror aspect of it. First of all, whenever they have child baby jane towards the beginning of the film she has the brightest red lipstick on and she's like five so right. i'm already pissed off and it's out. creepy and it's, it's on so this creepy. like um little house in the prairie type set <laughs> right like why does she have like flaming red drag queen lipstick yeah you know it's insane and then the the, the baby doll has a super pale face with this like fire engine red lipstick on so it doesn't look like a child it kind of looks like a woman child. It's mm-hmm. very Jean Bonnet. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that Baby Jane steals the show in this one as well, right? Like, <laughs> um, Lynn yes. Red- is Vanessa Redgrave like very memorable in this film, or does Lynn Redgrave just like sort of steal the whole thing? Lynn Redgrave. I mean, well, I don't know if she gets more FaceTime. I feel like, or she's she on makes camera. more out of it. Yeah. I mean, Vanessa Redgrave's just sort of like Jane. I I need some water. Jane, give me some water. I'm hungry, Jane. I'm hungry. (laughs) And then, I I don't know if it's because at this point we know what Blanche is really up to. Right. And we know what she really did, that it's like, there's no pity for this woman. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It it just puts her in a different light than the first movie. I, I just really think there is something about the Jane character that's just sort of like instantly fascinating. Like, uh, <laughs> she dresses like a kid and she wears crazy makeup. <laughs> yeah. But it's other stuff too. And like, okay. And she's like trash drunk and mentally ill. So mm-hmm. they'll show these scenes of. She's a party. Just these images of like, um, her sister will playfully blow the hair dryer in her face. And she makes this dumb, like. She's like. <laughs> yeah. She makes this like really dumb, like. If daddy was here. Almost like a dog <laughs> sticking its head out the window. <laughs> Uh, there's another scene where she's like walking around the house and she, I guess she gets something on her foot. So she throws her foot on the table and she's got that Flintstones black bottom of her foot. Oh yeah. And I just think there's something like Jesus. almost just fascinating about these like isolated images where I don't think the uh, Blanche character ever gets those moments. Also when she tries to give Billy Corn some chocolates. Oh, Billy Corn with a K? Like, Billy Corn with a K. She, um, he comes over and she's like, look, and it's, it's like, he's never... 
you know, oh, it's chocolate, it's chocolate. <laughs> and she's like kind of putting it in his face and he's like, oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, she's playing like an overgrown child and dressed like a child. Like, of course she's going to be a spectacle. But then for the show, which is, I mean, she looks like a go-go dancer. Yeah. You know, so, but I think like, at that time, when that duet happened with her and her sister, they were probably, like, way older, and she wasn't a little baby Jane right. anymore. But, yeah, that was just very revealing. But who knows? I mean, she had red lipstick on when she was six, so she could have totally worn that dress when she was, like, seven. <laughs> Do you think Lynn Redgrave is her version of Jane? Is that a better singer than <laughs> Betty Davis's version of Jane? Singing-wise? Yeah. Like, watching them both sing? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a Lynn, yeah, Lynn Redgrave. I totally. She, if this was the voice, I would pick her for my team. She does the same um, sad version of There Will Be Love, the way, or There Should Be Love, the way <laughs> there that... There should be love. So she's alone crying love to her dolls. Doing like a stripped down version of that. And a, like, yeah. Where it's, it's got kind of like a uh, Marian Faithful kind of quality to it. Like, it's like really like gravelly voice, but it's not bad necessarily. No, I liked it. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't... I've been listening to the clip all day preparing <laughs> for this. But, but if you think of, like, Baby Jane singing alone to her doll in the basement in the first one, the uh, Betty Davis one, it's very squawky and, like, terrifying in a, in a right. way. And I think that might be the difference between the characters is that, like, Betty Davis is, like, jarring and, like, kind of shocks you. Like, you want to push her away and, like, right. run through your life. Where Lynn Redgrave is, like, more of a tragic uh, Baby Jane. Like, right. What also makes, what I wanted to mention, I totally forgot until you said that, was what makes Betty Davis, Baby Jane, a little creepier, mm -hmm. actually a lot creepier, is when she does her sister's voice on the phone super well. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And her face while she does it, mm -hmm. it's like, she's oh, She's like God. ordering liquor even though she's been cut off. Hello, or like... this is Blanche Hudson. <laughs> Jane, Jane, come get the phone. And there's a whole Insane. other level added to that where, like, those two actresses hated each other. So she's, like, making fun of her rival on screen while her Whoa. rival's watching. Yeah, didn't see it in that <laughs> light, but totally. It's awesome. I really like uh, when Betty Davis spits back at her. Um, Blanche gets these uh, letters in the mail, these, like, fan letters saying, like, oh, I've been seeing your TV, your movies on TV, and I really liked it. Joan Crawford says, like, oh, really? Did they like it? And Betty Davis, like, spits back at her, oh, really? Did they like it? <laughs> And there's, like, something really perverse about watching these, like, two women, like, act out their real life, like, hatred of each other in, in that kind of, like, over-the-top way. probably why it was so good, because it was so real. Oh, yeah, that's 100%, like, why it's a fascinating object, for sure. Mm hmm I don't believe that the Redgrave sisters had that same kind of rivalry, and that might be part of the reason why Lynn Redgrave is, like, more sympathetic here. Mm-hmm. Even though she does the exact same thing. She starves her sister and she ties her up. Sends her ass back upstairs in a wheelchair lift. But, <laughs> that part's scary. Oh, yeah. And it has a great oh, um, down-the-stairs tumble moment, which yeah. I know oh, you're a fan I of I should have put it in my top ten. <laughs> um, Time I, to revise oh, the list. Right. <laughs> because I didn't see this until now. This was totally, like, within the top five, though. <laughs> yeah, she just kept going. How you, did she live? If you really want to see Vanessa Redgrave fall down a flight of stairs, uh, the 91 <laughs> Baby Jane is for you. This is the movie for you. <laughs> but uh, when she ties her up upstairs, or she starves her and does mm -hmm. all the stuff to her, um, it's almost like she doesn't realize the gravity of what she's doing. She's basically like keeping her all to herself in a more believable way. Like she is more like a little kid, like, Oh, I don't want other people to take me away from you. You're, you're like my only friend. She loves her. Right. She loves her sister. And yeah, they have more of a sisterly connection. They like laugh with each other. They have fun. And then 
I don't know. That's why I think it made it a little more sad. Yeah, the because uh, she trusts her sister so much and she loves her and she has all this guilt of you know crippling her when she didn't. But the other one's like outright hatred, right? Oh, the totally. 60s one. Oh, totally. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so you almost touched on it just now, but like a few more, um, a few more like '90s updates they did just to like update the material that I thought were funny. Uh, like you said, they have that motorized chairlift uh, up the stairs. It's awesome, very Gremlins. Uh, also, when she's downstairs, Lynn Redgrave, I mean uh, Vanessa Redgrave, is on a little motorized scooter instead of a wheelchair, which is right. kind of funny. There's like just Californians like skating and skateboarding in the background for like no reason. <laughs> Are there like the yuppies next door working out with this like awesome music, super loud? Yeah, they're jazzercising, <laughs> jazzercising so loud that they can't hear Blanche screaming for her life. Oh, and instead of writing a letter to them, she records a, t- a cassette tape and just tosses it out the window. Please uh, call Doctor Shelby. <laughs> Don't let my sister know that I said this. Which. It's sort of with all, I mean, modern technology, as modern as it was in the 90s, there's no way. I mean, she should have tried a little harder. Like, do you just decide to yell at your neighbors that one time? Keep doing it when you see her in the yard. (laughs) Throw the tape better. She was, she was dying from starvation. I can see I know, how that, like, like, limit your ability. You have all the stuff that you can use. <laughs> okay, one last thing they updated was the uh, lunches that her sister served her. So instead of the Delicious. silver platter with the um, with the uh, bird or the uh, rat under the dish. The blue cheese bird and the tomato, <laughs> tomato platter rat. So instead of that, you get these, like, carefully wrapped sandwiches. And I remember the tension in that scene. I was like, what's in the sandwich? You knew something was in it. I thought it was going to be, like... Something dead, but... No, it's worms. It's just worms. (laughs) Great reveal. Very Lost Boys. It reminded me of, like, when he's, like, giving Michael the fried rice Uh and it's maggots. It really reminded me of that. Or, like, in Society, which we just watched, where, like, he looks at the apple and, like, all of a sudden there's worms and he looks back and there's no worms. Something about the late 80s, early 90s worms. (laughs) And bugs. (laughs) And bugs in general. Yeah. What was that other thing that she gets served? Oh, I don't remember. It was like a, it looks like a teddy bear, but I don't think it was a teddy bear. <laughs> but it looked like one. I, and I tried like I don't know. I have to watch it again. Yeah, I'm willing to watch it again. I I went into <laughs> I went into Baby Jane 1991 thinking that it was gonna be kind of awful in like a campy way, and I was kind of laugh at it. But I found it like oddly engaging, mm-hmm. and the fact that. It embraced the uh, drag queen aspect of the mm-hmm. story Absolutely. to the point where it was like part of the plot I thought was really engaging. Would you like recommend this movie to people who like the original? 120%. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready for another Baby Jane. I'm ready for a 2017 <laughs> Baby Jane. Yeah. Who are the real life rivals who would you like to see? Who would it be? Who hates each other? Not hates each other, but I think Meryl Streep. Who does Meryl Streep hate? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure she hates everybody, but she has the right to, because um, she's great. Uh, but I would love to see her as Blanche. Oh, she would be great. She'd You're be right. a good Blanche. Maybe a good return to like She Devil and um. Oh, and Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne, and Roseanne. And Barr yeah. can be Jane. <laughs> oh God. Oh, this that that's it. Okay. That's it. That's that's what needs to happen. I would watch that. And it would have the oh, camp Jesus. factor for sure. And Bagley Jr. could be um, Billy Corn so or whatever. Let's just recast <laughs> She-Devil as a, uh, as a Baby Jane remake. Yes. Well, that about wraps it up for today. Uh, yes. Uh, I, you can see the 1991 Baby Jane on YouTube. Get uh, it before it's gone. It's 
got this like sickly videotape color palette to it but if you could stomach the way that Lynn Redgrave looks in that Raggedy Ann makeup it really is kind of like an oddly engaging Lifetime movie. She like something about when she smiles she almost has this like I mean he's huge huge grin and this like almost underbite grin (laughs) to where it looks like ten times bigger plus she has red lipstick. It is fascinating. (laughs) And if you want to read any more about like ridiculous rom-coms all month we've been talking about this movie Head Over Heels which Mm -hmm. is a Freddie Prince Jr. (laughs) rom-com directed by the guy who did House of Yes and Mean Girls Um, and it's basically a riff on Rear Window that is also a Zoolander type like fashion world parody as well as a really gross out comedy with like shit jokes in it. And, a and diamond, real shit. <laughs> and, and real shit. Yeah. <laughs> and a diamond heist movie and just like everything else. And I would say that the ramen girl and head over heels oh. are like two of the more ridiculous rom-coms I've It'd seen be in my life. a good like Saturday night double feature. Plenty of uh, white wine. White wine and ramen. And ramen. That's so gross. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.